All right, guys, here's another episode of the Daily CDs. I'd like to take this time to thank all the people who've joined my Patreon. I really appreciate that. And then also the guys who have joined the, my membership on my YouTube channel. Uh, all that really helps a lot. And also to uh, Value Pack, dog food. You know, I fed Value Pack before. I really thought it was good dog food. The hounds did really good on it. And uh, I'll be feeding it again here soon. Uh, I think it's really important that we support the companies that support what we do. Also to W Supply. Uh, they provide this platform for us to share our content. And uh, I want to thank them for that. Anyway, here's that episode. Enjoy. Well, best as I can remember from memory, well, in about 1935, an old boy came into Tucson to spend the winter. And he was from Toronto, Canada. And he evidently, him or some of his folks, had a quite a good gob of money because he believed in spending it. So he wanted to go a lion hunting and some of them around Tucson there told him he ought to get in touch with the Lee boys. So he came to paradise. And he said, boy, says, I want to go a lion hunting. But he says, I don't want to go around here close. Says, I'd like to go off somewhere. Says, I've heard New Mexico had quite a few lines. We told him, well, New Mexico has. Said, do you boys know anything about the line country in New Mexico? We said, yeah, we know some of it. Well, how about taking me on a line hunt in New Mexico? So we told him, said, well, it's going to be more expense to it. Because I have to go way over there. Well, he said, I've got the money to pay for it. Don't worry about that. So a cousin and I took a string of ten horses up there. We rode two and drove uh, eight. And we went into the Mogollon Mountains of New Mexico. And it was 150 miles from where we lived up there. And we just cut across country. And we got up there the third afternoon with three days. We traveled them horses on an average of 50 miles a day and drove them. And so then we took this Dobie Deeks on this line hunt. Well, there was a good bunch of lines in there. We found quite a lot of sign the first day. And and trailed them around there. And uh, well, the fourth day morning, while well, we hit the tracks of a big mail that was a good running track. And after about a three or four hour trailing, they jumped this line and he didn't run over a quarter to half a mile and treed. And we got to it and Dobie killed it. And it was a fine trophy. So we just drove our horses back to, to paradise. And we got in there the afternoon of the third day, 150 miles right straight through the country. And so then that was in the spring of the year. Well, old Dobie went on back to Tucson. Well, he met an old fellow there by the name of Billy Chester. Now, this Billy Chester had 
been in Mexico for years and years, and he is getting to be an old man. And he had done lion and jaguar hunting. But old Dovey talked him into going with him into Mexico and taking a pack outfit and just traveling through the country with a pack outfit. So they left Tucson and they backed on down, crossed the line there at Nogales, and then headed into Mexico. Well, I don't remember how long they had gone, but they had gone quite a while. And they wouldn't, wasn't in no hurry, and they wouldn't try to make long trips every day. They was going along, find a good place to camp while they'd camp. But anyway, Nogales was uh, 180 miles below the border, and so Tucson is 55 miles from Nogales. So see, there was quite a bit, bit over 200 miles each way. But anyway, this old fellow got telling Doby Deeks about Jaguar. And old Doby said, uh, Boy, I'd like to go Jaguar. Well, old Billy Chester said, Why don't you go see them old Lee boys and See if they'll take you jaguar hunting. Toby says, have they ever done any jaguar hunting? Well, Billy Chester says, not that I know of. But says, they're lion hunters. So, here old Toby come back. Well, good gracious, that was in the last of May, and I want to mean folks. On down in New Mexico, it's hot in that, real hot in that Tucson country. And it's hot at paradise. But of course, paradise is higher altitude, and it's not near as hot paradise as it is around Tucson. But anyway, here come Dobie Deeks. Coming. Well, we said, well, what do you want? Where do you want to go? What do you want to hunt? He says, I want to take your Jaguar hunt. Well, I told him, I said, good golly, Dobie, we've never caught a jaguar. And I said, here two or three years ago, Phil and Ernest went down a little ways in Blow Hour Fieta, while they were in into Mexico just a short distance to a mountain range there where there was supposed to be jaguars, and there were no jaguars there, and uh, they didn't stay but just a few days. As I remember, they found some found some sign of mountain lions, but no jaguar. And so that's been the only trip any of us had ever made for any jaguar. He said, well, he said, I have never caught one. And I said, well, I pretty well knew that. But he said, listen, says, is the first time for everything. I said, yes, there is. I said, well, if you're going to line up that kind of a hunt, and I said, got any money? He said, well, of course I got money. Well, then I said, then put out that much money that you're going to have to put out for a Jaguar hunt. We should go in the wintertime when it, when it would be much cooler because that is low country down there and that will be just as hot as the hottest desert here is around Tucson and maybe hotter. And I said, don't be, it'll be terrible. Well, he said, now listen, I may never get back here again. And he said, I want to go jaguar hunting. And I'm willing to pay the money. And I'm willing to take my chances. 
If I can just talk to you fellers into taking me. I want you and Cleo to take me into Mexico. And I said, well, Dobie, that's the way we're making our living. Now, and if you insist on going into Mexico, well, we'll try to arrange a hunt here within the next few days, and it'll take us some maneuvering. We can't go in the, in the next day or two. we we got to get ready. All right, then, he said, uh, I'll go back to Tucson, and I'll get all ready, and I'll come back to Paradise. And we'll, so we beached at the Douglas the next morning and found an old fellow there that was, had been in Mexico for years and years. I know that in my own mind that he'd been outlawed down there. But if he had, he never did tell me what happened. And Billy Chester never did either. But I heard Billy Chester was outlawed down there right after that Lincoln County War in New Mexico. He was mixed up in that, and then after the war was over, he killed a guy in New Mexico, and then they couldn't, they didn't catch him, and he got away and, and went plumbing in, uh, into old Mexico. And there for 20 years, 30 years, he was never closer than 130 miles of the American line. And he even changed his name and went by the name of Billy Pate. For many years, everybody knew him as Billy Faith, and his name was Chester. And then when he came back across the line, well, he changed his name back and called himself Billy Chester. But anyway, well, this Molly Hobbs was supposedly killed, uh, run Jaguars down there, and they killed some. And we talked to him, and he told us and gave us a lot of information. And when we really put it on the line, his information didn't amount to anything. But that he he gave it anyway. And so, all right, then we hired him to take us down to where he knew there were some jaguars, and that would be on that on that uh, right there by that Yaki River. Now, see, there's two rivers comes into there. And one river, it's, it's got two different names before it ever runs into this other river. The Rio Ares, it comes in, uh, well, it come in from the east of the Rio Granado, doesn't change its name, but the Rio Granado above there is known as the Rio Vavispe. And so, he said, I know where there's some, and, uh, and we can, uh, the roads are bad. We'll have to go slow and all, but we can go down there and I know right where to go to hire a big pack outfit. And some and the guys that'll know the trails to get over there. So <clears throat> we started out. We in just a few days in we raced around and got everything ready. And Bolly Hobbs had an old backward shift. Dodges. And uh, we had an old Chevrolet, and neither one of them was no good. And Dobie Deeks had a good Buick. He's the only one that had a car that is any good. And uh, anyway, well, within 
I don't think we took a trailer with us. But anyway, we took eight hounds and a bunch of calf equipment. We had everything all loaded down. <clears throat> so we crossed our no gallops in. And we found out later we should have crossed it out of Trieste. But anyway, we took off to the kind of the east and we just wasn't in no hurry and fooling along and got down there, oh, probably 60 miles, 70 miles and down there and found a, a ranch, a little old village there where they claimed there's some jaguars. So we fooled around there for a few days and we were trying to get us some saddle animals. So we looked up <clears throat> quite a ways from there and there was I imagine from right our camp to the foot of this mountain is probably a couple of miles. And they said there's some deer in that mountain. So we decided we'd go with our foot, Clay on Dobie and I. We had this old American as our cook. His name was Walt Finnicum. And he is cooking bar, pretty good old camp cook. So Early the next morning, while well, we figured on getting our horses that afternoon, uh, Phil and Dobie and I started to foot over this mountain. While well, we was kind of climbing the slope going up to the foot of the mountain, and Phil and Dobie got off to one side over there quite a little distance from me, and I was talking, and I was just going along, wasn't paying any attention to them. Finally, well, they kind of eased over and got over there closer to me and said, Say, Says, we want to make you a proposition. I said, well, you'll have to tell me what it, what it is before I can tell you whether I'll accept it or not. They said, listen, says, we will pack in what you kill if you'll pack in what we kill. And I said, yeah. I said, brother-in-law in on me, ain't you? But I said, I'll tell the world I'll take you up on it. So we got up on the pretty good side ridge there and we separated. And I kind of went down, kind of down over the ridge and into a little canyon there and Clay and Dobie, they turned up. Well, I hadn't went any distance. Now, all of these deer were, we call them white tails or the coos deer. And they're, they're not, they're small deer. Smaller than the white tail. They're the coos. C-O-U-E-F. Most of the people call them, some of them call them cows deer. But anyway, um, oh, I imagine smaller than a yearling. Jumped up, and I, right at me, and I killed it. So I just run down there and gutted it and fixed it to carry. And boy, back up above me a ways, I heard bang, bang, bang. And I'll bet they shot eight or ten, twelve times. And I said, well, I can't afford to let them find me because they'll be a, having me a packing deer till tomorrow sometimes. <clears throat> so I put this deer on my shoulder and a sneaking through a saddle to, to drop down and hit that slope that went to camp and an old doby stepped out right in front of me. And I said, boy, doby, how many deer did you guys kill? I had this one on my back just to stand there. Going, 
Well, he said, we wasn't shooting at deer. I said, what are you shooting at? Well, he said, uh, some of them call them chews. The American name farms of Cody Monday. And boy, I just throwed that deer down there. I said, you big Canadian son of a gun, get that deer and let's go to camp. I said, where's Clell? He said, oh, he went on. I said, why didn't you go with him? Well, I was getting tired. I said, well, you'll be more tired with the time you pack this deer to that camp. So we'd go along, and he says, uh, here, I'm carrying the deer, you carry my rifle. I said, carry your own rifle. There wasn't nothing stated about uh, carrying rifles. I said, no, I'm not going to carry your rifle. You can carry that deer and your rifle, too. So he'd get tired. He'd take the deer off. He'd sit down and get in the shade and rest. And when he did, well, I'd stay there with him, and I'd sit down and rest. <laughs> and... Uh, just keep kidding him a little bit all the time. And I said, well, now, if, he, if it takes you until tomorrow to carry this deer down there, well, you're going to carry it because I'm not carrying it another foot. So we finally got to camp. <clears throat> I skinned the little old deer and prepared it to eat. And late that afternoon, well, old Clell come in. He come in with a uh, nice four-point buck. Now, th those deer, if they dress out, 80 pounds, 75, well, they're a nice buck. Of course, they get bigger, but that's a, that's a pretty nice buck. And he, of course, I wasn't anywhere around, and if he left it, it was spoiled, so he brought it on in. And the, the next day, while well, we got our saddle animals, and we cut sign there for a couple of days, and Found some old lime sign, but no Jaguar sign that we could tell. So we pulled on. <clears throat> and in the meantime, uh, old Dobie's old Buick, the only good car in the bus, wouldn't start. We'd have to pull it. And it was a generator, and it was running the, the, the battery down. So we pulled in to... Devisa Daris, while we was going to get her camp out fitting her animals, and uh, stopped there and made arrangements for them. And oh, oh, it was late in the afternoon. Um, um, I mean, I don't imagine there's over an hour of uh, sunlight left. Maybe not that much. And old Dobie come over to me and he said, "Come on, you're going with me to Hermosillo." I said. What am I going to Hermosillo for you for? He said, well, we're going to take this old Buick and have it fixed. I said, Dobie, let's do it after the hunt. Oh, no, I'll do it now. I want this car working. I said, Dobie, let's don't go to Hermosillo. Now, let's go on and make her hunt. And when we come back, then we'll go to Hermosillo and get this old Buick fixed. No, we're going now. He said, I'm a paying bill. I said, yes, you are. No, I said, okay, we'll go. I said, Cal and Bolly here can get a pack outfit and pack over the river and leave a Mexican here to show us where they are. And when we come back, we'll go on over then and make her hunt. He said, well, that's a good idea. So we pulled that old bit and got it started and away we went. And the road is 
roads are like nothing down there. Just a, in places, there's only about just good cow trails. And we hit a creek down there, and it was sandy. And he was just a stepping on that old Buick. And I told him, I said, Doby, be careful. If we stall this thing out here in this sand, we're here. Well, there was a mining outfit that we noticed, and the road got better. A sign turning off at a certain distance to a little old mine up there, I think, two or three kilometers. And the kilometer, I think, is about five-eighths of a mile. So we passed out on the road. It got better, but it was real sandy. And he went around one of them curves and kind of missed the road, just a gun in it and that sand, and that old Buick died. And I said, yeah, Adobe, here was set. Because it's a sanction to, unless we get a truck to pull it, we'll never start it. Well, he said, what are we going to do? I said, one of us is going to walk back up to that mine and see if we can get a truck to come down here in the morning. We won't get anything done until in the morning and pull us out. And I said, besides, we haven't got anything to eat in this outfit. So he said, well, who's going to walk? I said, let's flip a coin. So I got out a coin and flipped it, and old Doby lost. So he turned around and walked back, and I got it. In that old Buick and got stretched out and I was pretty tired and I went to sleep. Well, along, I don't know, must have been 11 o'clock that night. He went up to this mine and talked to them and then they'd give him something to eat. And he was nice about it because he had all of his pockets full of stuff for me to eat when he got back there. And so I was hungry, so I ate and we spent the night there. And the next morning they come down with the truck. And they pulled us down, got us started, and away we went. Well, we hit a canyon down there and started to pull the ridge on the other side, and it died again. And rolled back to the bottom of the creek. And this was a pretty good walk. We flipped, and he lost again, so he walked into a little village there. And, uh, and then came back with a truck and a whole bunch of men, and... We tied onto that old Buick and pulled it up that hill and down a slope there and got it started. Well, we went on into this little town, which is just three or four miles down there, and stopped and filled up with gas. And, and uh, I told him, I said, Doby, let's leave this thing here. If we're going to get it fixed, let's go into Hermosea and get somebody to come after it. Go out. If we can get her started, we're going to run her. He said, I, my motto is, if it'll run, run her, Kelly, run her. I said, okay. So we started out. And we only got up there <clears throat> about four or five miles, and it died again. But we did, we, we, we did manage to get it out of the road. And that, then, was late in the evening, and, was, and we'd already spent a day on the on the road. So we flipped, and I lost. So I was going to walk back to this same village we just left, which is, I imagine, four or five miles. So I started back down the road, and there's another village above there, but it is farther. 
So I started back down the road, and I got down there two or three hundred yards, and he started hollering. And we got us a little stuff to eat in case this happened, that other village that would fill up with gas. And I hollered and asked him what he wanted. He said, come back, come back. So I went back. He said, Dale, I can't stay here. He said, I've got I just can't stay here. He said, now, it'll be tomorrow before you get back. And I just can't stay here. So I said, well, hit the road. I can stay. So he hit the road and, and um, I ate some stuff that we had bought at that little village back there. And I went to sleep. Well, wasn't too... Late the next morning, here he come on a bus. And people just all scattered all over that bus. And he said, Dale, he said, uh, come on, we're going to Hermosillo. We're going to get a mechanic and come back and another battery and come back after that old village. And I said, well, Dobie, they might strip this. He said, if they do, it's mine. Let them strip it. So we locked her up, got on that old bus, and away we went, and we traveled all day. And it took us all day to get to Hermosillo. And we got there real late that evening. So he had been there and knew a few of those Mexicans, and neither one of us talked then much Spanish. Later on, I got to talking it pretty good, but I didn't then. But I could talk more than he could. So we found a mechanic in, in a pickup mall. So we got, got in with him and we drove nearly all night getting back to that old beauty. And so we put in another battery and pulled, and got, pulled it and got her started and away we went. Well, we made it on into Hermosillo. So he went to the best garage there to fix that generator. Well, they couldn't fix it there. They had to take it and send it to Mexico City to have it rewound. And we were 11 days. Well, we've got 10 days uh, getting it fixed. No, it was the 11th day that we pulled back going back to, to Divisa Daris to go on this hunt. Well, we met Clell on the road. And there he had these two old cars, that old Chevrolet and that old Dodge, all loaded down and uh, coming to look for us. He figured Mexicans had cut our throats or something. And so, oh, he is mad. And I told Obi, I said, Clell will be a standing on his head. I said, he don't like Mexico much anyway. And I said, he imagined everything's happened to us. But anyway, old Clay really did read the right act to us. And old, old Dobie, I told him, I said, well, now you talk to him. So he got Clay over there and talked to him a long time. said, now come on, Clay. He said, for goodness sake, come on, go back. Let's go back and uh, let's go on and make that hunt. And old Dobie said, Clell, I'm going to pay a lot of money on, for this trip. And I sure do want to at least have some kind of a chance of getting the Jaguar. 
So he finally got the tail kind of quieted down. So we turned around and went back to the Visaderas and then had to spend the next day of getting another fax string, which would consist of about 25 animals, maybe 30. I never, a whole bunch of them. I can't remember. Well, the, it was so hot we couldn't travel in the daytime, especially with our dogs, because it'd take the pads, just burn them, and that sand just burned the pads right off of their feet. So we started out and packed up late that evening, and, and just as it was getting dark, we left. Well, we got over on that, uh, on these ridges that dropped off into this, ri into this, um, River where we was going to camp and the doggone guys that knew the trail lost the trail. And I bet we spent a, an hour or so looking for the trail while we found it and started dropping off in there and it broke daylight. And then it got to where the sun is just coming up. And Clay and I were staying back behind everything and old Dobie is up there with these packers and all in the pack string and Keeping her dogs back. Well, we come through a little saddle and two of these hounds run down amongst the pack animals and I hurried down there to get them and bring them back. And, uh, when I got these dogs and went back up the trail a little ways and gonna wait for tail while well, I looked up there in this saddle and he is all of his, off of his saddle animal looking at tracks. And he looked down there and saw me and hollered said, come up here. So I hurried up there and he said, well, now here's a track crossing here. And he said, it's made of a, a track of a big cat. And it is not a lion. So the only big cats in here is lions and jaguars. And so this has got to be a jaguar track. And it looks fresh to me. He said, I'm, I'm, I won't let these dogs smell it. Says they've been trying to start it. And he said, well, why don't we run it? That's what we come here for. We might spend quite a lot of time trying to find this good a track. And I said, well, wait till I go get old Obi. So I had to go way down there by that time to get him. And I told Cleo, I said, well, don't start until we can get back up here. Well, when we got back up there, Tall dogs and all was gone. He'd went on anyway. So we picked up his horse tracks and trailed him, trailed him around there on this ridge and up there on the top of the high breath stood his horse, tied. And his shouts and spurs and everything was laying there. And he is gone. And we got out on the edge of this bluff and we could hear these dogs way in this canyon down here and they were going up. And it was a deep, rough canyon way down there. So I said, come on, Dobie, let's go. So we jumped off and took off our shafts and spurs, and we, away we went. Well, we got into the bottom of the canyon, and by that time, old Dobie was getting tired. And here was a big rock right in the bottom of that canyon, about the size of a good-sized house that we could get up on top of. So we got up on top and was trying to hear the dogs, and we heard them coming back around. Oh.
Well, now they was coming back around the hill on the same side that we had come off on. And they were making good time and Clell was quite a little ways behind them. Well, we just sat there and listened at them to see what they was going to do. And when they got about up on this mountain, about opposite us, rimming back around towards their horses, they turned right off the mountain, and here they come. Now, now, that jaguar had looped its trail, and it came down and came right under the big old rock that we were sitting on. So they went to the other side of the canyon and up in a little rim that rimmed out of this deep canyon, but it wasn't near as high there to the rim as it was where we had come off from. And now in a minute they jumped it. And up over that rim they went and, and I jumped up and, and uh, stood there and I knew good and well that I was going on and Clell hollered, get after them, they've jumped it. Well, I knew they'd jumped it. So I said, come on, Doby, let's go. He said, let's go. He said, I never will. It'll take me for two or three hours to get back to them horses. And I'm give out. But I can get back to the horses. And I said, well, can you get back to the horses and then get uh, on down to camp, follow that pack outfit? Well, he said, of course I can. I said, okay, you take Clell and my horses both because Clell will probably come on after me and I'm going on. So I topped out there just as fast as I could and I heard one old hound uh, white and and uh, red-spotted dog, Jake, as he said, ooh, and went out of hearing and never heard any other hound. Well, I could spot quite a ways way over there where they'd went out of hearing. So I took across there just fast as I could. Well, it was just small canyons, just up and down, up and down. And there must have been at least a half a dozen or maybe, maybe more. And when I got to where I'd heard old Jake last, well, I listened, and I could hear them. They had it caught. Well, I thought I had them pinpointed, and away I went, and then I'd stop and listen, and there'd be some other direction. And I was running around there for, for a little while, like a chicken with his head cut off. And finally, I said, well, thought it over, and I said, i got to do something to find them, because I can't do this all day. So I come a little peak there that wasn't very high and got up on top of this little peak. And then I got them pinpointed. I knew right where they were. And so I jumped uh, down and got off of that little, this little peak. And away I went up to the dogs and I got up to where I could see them barking in the cave, in a hole. So before I went up to that hole, I wanted to be sure my light was working. Now, they had told us it's bad to cave in that country, so we carried a light. I had a coon hunter's light that the light goes on your head, and then a battery hangs on your belt or in your pocket or something. Well, I jerked my light out, and, uh, and all the batteries flew out. Well, I had to gather up the batteries and then fool around there and finally get them in right, and of course I was trying to hurry, and that made it worse, because I did them turn wrong and everything else. So so it took me quite a while to get that light fixed, and I finally got to where it burned all right, so 
So I raised up to walk up to this cave. And now in a minute, that down below me up come this little canyon, I heard the rocks roll in the brush a pop and look down there and there come Cleo. And his face was just red as a bee. He was just about to get overheated. And oh, it is hot. So I waited for him. I said, they got him. He said, well, I know I can hear him. And we, when he got to me, I wasn't over 50 yards from him. So we walked on up there right easy. And so a jaguar bait in the hole is supposed to bray like a bull or and rush out. So uh, two dogs is that down in the hole and the rest of them is outside. And some of them that's on the outside were uh, all scratched up. So we sat down, one on each side, and sat there for quite a while, and why nothing didn't happen. So we decided we'd go in the cave after it. So, of course, our first jaguar, and each one of us wanted to be the one that killed it. And I said, well, now, Cleo, I'll go in there, because if anything happens to one of us, well, I think you'd be more important to the world than I would. Well, he said, no. I said, I don't think you ought to go. I said, why? He said, you know good and well I can shoot straighter than you can. I said, well, I'm not denying that. <clears throat> but I said, I can surely hit that thing at 10 to 15 feet away, and that's how close it'll be in there. He said, no, I think I'd better go. So we had quite an argument. But anyway, he said, here, let's tell you what let's do. He said, uh, let's both of us go and you hold the light and I'll shoot. And I said, well, okay then. That's the way it's got to be. Well, let's go. So he went in first, me right behind him. And the hole was a pretty good sized hole, about, I guess, four or five feet across and kind of round. And we could step down on rocks and little edges and get to the floor of the cave, but we couldn't stand upright. We had to kind of stand slantwise to stand up in there. And right off to our left end on a little edge, looking back towards the back end, was this one dog, and one dog was down on the floor of that cave. So shine that old light back there, and I'd say maybe 12 feet from us, standing on the little shelf and looking just through a, uh, the rocks that kind of made a V shape, and we could just see both eyes and a part of its head and just a little above its eyes. So I whispered to Clell and I said, poke it right square in the, just above that thing's eye, right in the V of that rock. Okay. So he raised up and pulled the trigger, and the dust just flew. Of course, it, uh, the dust is real thick in that cave where never, no water ever got to it or anything. And uh, there's kind of a short in this light, and the light went out. Well, there we was in the dark, and uh, boy, I just took that old light and jiggled the wires and fooled around with it for quite a little while. Of course, it wasn't near as long, I guess, as it seemed like it. And uh, got that light to shining and shine back there. And there, that thing was standing right in the same place. And you could see where he just hit to the left of that thing's head. And the bullet splattered and put that thing's eye out. 
and the blood is running down its side of its head from its uh, right eye, the jaguar's right eye and our left side. So I whispered to him, you didn't do so good the next shot. I mean that shot, so you better try another one. So he already had his gun loaded, so he raised her up and, and sighted and pulled the trigger. My light didn't go out that time, and he hit that thing right exactly just right in the head, just above the eyes. Of course, that just really knocked it over, went right into its head. So we went back there and pulled it down and and, uh, and gutted it right there. And we got the rest of our dogs in down in that hole where it's hot. So we stayed there and let rested and let them rest a while and then we started to leave and it was so hot we couldn't get our dogs to travel. They had just taken their pads right off their feet. So we went back and got in the cave and, and all the dogs and so we stayed there till that sun went going down and the sand got to where it wasn't quite so hot and then we dropped into the river that our camp was in right down close to where it run into that real iris and made the real yaki, and we started up the river. We knew we'd find camp up that river. And, uh, of course, Clell had been there before when he went over there and, and stayed four or five days. And he had found some lion and jaguar side, but he wouldn't run them with the dogs because Dobie Deeks wasn't there. So we was walking up this river, and the dogs was, crippling a long way behind us. They had hurt their feet. It had been hot enough that they had really already really hurt their feet and a lot of their pads is off. And we met Bolly Hob. Here he come riding down the river on a little old mule. We said, where are you going? He said, well, I thought you fellas was in this direction and I got you something to eat and I was coming to look for you. I thought maybe I might find you down here somewhere. <clears throat> and I said, well, Bolly, we should pay attention to you. You told us to never run over four hounds. If we run over four, the jag would kill some of them and get away. I said, and that's what happened. Oh, and he then he just preached us a sermon. And in a little bit, well, one of these hounds came up. They strung out back down there. I said, well, here's one. We won't have to hunt without at least one hound. And now a little bit up come another. And I said, well, here's another. And we, seven of them came up. We didn't never, we didn't know where the other one was. There was one gone. So when we got all, all seven of them come up and I said, Baldy, your theory is not worth a dog gone. We got seven of our hounds. And the jaguar's laying up yonder dead in the cave. He said, well, can we get up to it and get it tonight? And I told him, I said, well, we don't feel like going, trying to go back after that thing tonight. We'll go the, the daylight in the morning. So we went on up to camp, and at daylight in the morning, we went and got it. And, of course, we were proud of it and brought it into camp and took some pictures and then skinned it as quick as we did. But... Lost that hide, oh, it didn't all slip, but a lot of the hair slipped on it. Too hot. Kind of spoiled. <clears throat> so then, we, we went to hunt. 
and we found out what had happened to her other hound. Some way he was thrown out of the race or he quit, and he went, trailed us back, and then went from back to that little village where, that we'd backed out from, and a Mexican got him and brought him into camp, but traveled him when it was so hot that uh, he didn't do as much good on that hunt because all of his pads is plumb off into the raw on all four feet. So then we started hunting, and uh, we got up one of those canyons early one morning and hit this hit this track of a jaguar cub that is old, I imagine, five or six months old, and the tree did. It treed, and old Doby killed it. Then we knew that that's... Uh, the old one was around there somewhere, so we kept going back, and the second morning we hit uh, tracks of this cub's mother, and that before too long jumped her, and she went in a hole. And this hole was, you, you could get into it, it's the mouth of it good, but you couldn't go up and down. A man's body couldn't twist like that where a jaguar could. And old Dobie tried to crawl in there with a six-shooter, but he couldn't get in. So we had took down two big wolf traps, just in case something like that happened. So all right then, we went on back to camp, and Clay and I got those wolf traps, and we brought them up there and, and set them. And the way we done, we walled up the front of that cave and set the traps just on the inside of the wall. So if it come down to get out, we figured it'd step in a trap trying to knock those rocks down and get out. Well, then we went up there early the next morning and took our dogs with us in case the traps hadn't done any good and, and stopped back down about a hundred yards or so from there and tied our dogs. And I said, well, you guys wait here and I'm going to sneak up there and see what's happened. So as I slipped up to the cave, we had one of these chains pulled away off there and tied to a good-sized tree. It must have been six or seven feet in front of the, this wall of rocks that we'd wall that cave up with. Oh, and I could see the wall knocked down and that chain is right tight. And I knew that jaguar was in there in that trap. So I eased up a little and just stuck my head around to see how good a hold that trap had on that thing, and it had a real good hold on it. But just as I slipped my head around there and looked, that thing saw my head and just charged out and run from to the end of that chain. And, of course, I retreated and back down the creek I went and told Clarence Doby I'd run down there and hollered. I said, leave those dogs tied down there and come on up. We got it. So we come up there, and old Doby had to shoot that thing four or five shots before he ever killed it with his pistol. And he says, just think that I was going to trust my neck in that cave, and now I can't even kill it on the outside hardly. So then we hunted a day or two more and caught a young lion, and uh, that was eight days of hunting, and we had caught two grown jaguars, one jaguar cub, and one young lion in that eight days our first jaguar hunt. So, of course, we felt proud of ourselves because we thought that was a, a good job 
when we were hunting in the worst of conditions that you could hunt. It was way up in June then. So we packed back to the Visadera and went back at night. And so the next morning then, while well, we loaded up and pulled for Hermosillo. We are going to go back through Hermosillo and on around. And this old tires of old Bolly Hobbs was so bad, we had spent half the time working on tires. Well, we got to, to Hermosillo, and we didn't have any money. Practically, it is practically all gone. Old Dobie said, well, don't worry. He said, I'll go to a banker over here that I know and I can get some money. So he went over there and this fellow was gone that he knew and wouldn't be back for a couple of weeks on a vacation. So all right, the way we done it, we just went to the best hotel and they always build these hotels kind of around, well, I guess you'd call it a little patio always a big patio in these good big hotels. So we run our trucks and trailers, uh, and uh, I mean trucks, we didn't have any trailers, or cars, in there and took our dogs and tied them right in the patio and we charged everything. And we stayed there for for five days while Dobie wired home for money. Then when, oh, when that money come, well, we were all rich then because he divided her up and we pulled for no gallows. Well, as we'd go along, we'd have to patch a tire. And finally, old Dobie got disgusted and says, I'm going to no gallows and get a new set of tires for that old Dodge car. And I said, well, now don't get to celebrating and forget to come back. He said, no, I won't celebrate at all. I'll go there and get those tires and come right back. And he went to Nogales and bought four new tires. And back he come and we got them on that old Dodge. And away we went. Got into our, uh, into Nogales and got through customs and back onto the American side. And we pulled back for paradise. And old Dobie was tickled to death with his hunt. And, uh, and we made a big profit out of it. And then uh, he went back to Tucson for a little while and then left and I never saw him again. I heard that World War II, he went and joined the Royal Air Force and, uh, and that he was killed at Singapore in a, in a plane. And uh, never did hear of him again, but he was a good old boy, and he was a soldier of fortune, if I ever saw one. Well, now, this hunt took place in the White Mountains up there in Arizona, and it took place in June of one year, which is bad time out there because it's awful dry and in the lower country it's hot. But we was camped, or I was camped, up then about 9,000 feet and Clell that was over his cabin right along the divide there and he, he was camped about 9,000 feet. And I was a training, 
training dogs. So a drop-down bear wallow, which is a big canyon running in to Black River. And that Black River had then run into the Indian Reservation, the uh, Fort Apache Indian Reservation. No, the San Carlos. There's two Indian Reservations right there connected. And this was on to the San Carlos. Well, I went down that bar wallow for quite a ways, and I didn't intend to go on down to, to the reservation fence. And I hit a big male line track going right down that canyon. Well, it was a pretty good track, and they could get up and carry it, so I followed them. And they went into the reservation, and there was a gate there, and I went through right after them. Well, then it turned down Black River, and it would cross that river. Every once in a while. It done that, crossed it about four times. Well, the, the river wasn't real deep and bad to cross, and I'd cross right behind my dogs. And I was riding a good uh, good animal, and I could get right along. Well, I imagine four or five miles down that Black River, they finally crossed it and rimmed out on the left-hand side, which would be on the side that we'd come into it from. And uh, they jumped this line and they treated in some bluffs down there, but up in a tree. And I had a, a six-shooter that clailed along me, and dumb-like, I had never took it out and tried it and shot it, because I had lost my old standby 22 woodsman that I'd had for many years, just a while before that running the bar. And I had it in an old scabbard that I'd got with it. And I guess that leather was rotten. And anyway, I hit a limb or something on this bar race and tore this gun from off my hip. And I didn't even know when I'd done it. And Clell and I backtracked that horse for two days trying to find that gun. And, uh, of course, it could have slipped under something or slipped down the hill. And we never found it. So he said, here, I've just got this gun a while back. And uh, so you carry it. And so I had 22 cutters. Well, I got down there right close to that line and I shot. And I shot two or three times. And he just bailed out. Not the tell the way he acted. I hadn't hit him. And I was right at him. Well, finally I treated that thing five times. And part of the time I wouldn't be over 15 or 20 feet from that thing. And I couldn't figure out how to, how to sight. I'd sight high and I'd sight low and I'd sight to the left and I'd sight to the right and, uh, still couldn't hit it. Well, the last tree it went up, I had my horse tied way up on top of some bluffs up there. And this is a, if I was going to leave these dogs, this is the foolish thing I've done. I went down to the tree and the dogs knew I was there. And I had three cartridges left. Well, I shot two of them. And he didn't even jump. So I backed up on the hill quite a ways to where I could see him good. And I sat there and rested good. And then I held it in both hands and pulled the trigger. And he didn't even flinch. And I just turned around and looked at my horse and started climbing to him. Well, now I got to that horse probably an hour before the sun went out. And I was a long ways from camp. 
and I didn't ride into that camp by going just in a good steady pace all the time until 11 o'clock that night. Well, I just then I just jumped in the pickup and I went to Clell's camp and uh, woke him up and he said, "What do you want?" I said, "Get up and and go help me get that line on Black River." I said, I left seven dogs down there with a line treed and I shot at it 22 times because I counted them. And he looked at his clock away. Well, he said, it's just about 10 minutes till 12. Not quite midnight. I said, that's right. He said, well, you don't want me to get up now and start in the dark down through there because we can make better time in the daytime. I said, well, I just come out of there in the dark. Well, he said, um, I think we'd better wait and start when it starts to break day. And I told him, I said, all right. I said, I'm going back to camp and I'm going to eat a little something because I haven't eaten anything since breakfast. Then I'm just going to lay down on the bed with all my clothes on. And I know I won't have any hard time going to sleep. I said, you get over there before daylight and feed those mules. And uh, then you can come on down there and come in there and cook us some breakfast, and we'll leave there when it starts to crack in day. I said, you can bring a young dog or two to show them a line, because I think we'll get it. And he said, all right. So he done that. And he woke me up, and I ate right quick then, and, we, and he'd already saddled her mule, all ready to go, and... And really, the oldest dog that we had there, and the most experienced dog, was a great, great blue, blue tick, or he was tan head and red speckled legs and a blue body. He was laying there. He'd quit and come in that night. So we just tied him up and took the mother three that Clell brought, and away we went. Well, after we got down there a long ways, we down that bar wallow. While I come into it, we took my backtrack. So if there was any dogs coming back, we'd pick them up and know what they are doing. And about a mile from the trees, we met another, uh, another blue tick female. She was trailing me up. And she had just left the tree because if she hadn't, she'd have been farther up the trail. So when we got to the tree, there sat a little half walker and half blue tick, little bobtail dog called Rounder, and he was a sitting there looking at that line, and he was saying, ow, 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 and he had barked so much that his voice was cracking. He couldn't hardly bark. And these other four then, the river come along about a hundred yards down there, up from the river, and they was down there getting them a drink. And uh, then here they come on up the hill and started treeing. And these that Clell had brought, they finally seen the line and they started treeing. Now that shows tree dogs. I'd left them an hour before uh, sundown the day before. And that was 11 o'clock the next day when we got back to the line. So 
if we have hounds that won't stay treed from 12 to 14 hours, we do not consider them, consider them good tree dogs for big game because sometimes you're many hours of finding your hound. And we have done that several different times. Knew that they treed one day and got the game the next. And uh, when a dog will stay treed from one day to the next, and you can prove it by getting the game, well, that's what I call good tree dog. Well, now, this happened a few years ago on Blue River. Clell and I were trying to trail a line, and the bars was out. And he'd been trying to trail one and me the other. And we'd got, we'd met on the river down there and was a, coming up to his ranch with both packs of dogs. And we picked up a, a line track and trailed it up on what is called Bar Mountain there. And they jumped the bar. Well, in the night, we lost. So we came on to the ranch and uh, and went to bed. And the next morning, eight of our dogs wasn't there. There was three had come in. So we drove down the river and listened on this big mountain to see if we could find, uh, hear them. And we couldn't hear them, so we come back. And uh, I was real tired, so I told Clell I was going to lay down for a couple of hours and then, then take my saddle horse and go on that mountain and see if I could find those dogs. And anyway, well, he walked up and, and was standing in the shade, I mean in the sun, against the barn, and he heard those dogs treed, and he run and got me, and we went up there, and those eight dogs was there at that bar tree. And some of them would, in the pine needles, they'd dug them beds, and some of them would sleep, and some would bark, and we got the bar the next morning, and I went and got a neighbor that wanted a bear. And so we took him up there and let him get his bear. And uh, that shows what, what good tree dogs will do when they stay from one day to the next. Now those dogs that had that line treed down there, they first treed that line about 12 o'clock. And we got there 11 the next day. So that would be 23 hours that those dogs had been treed.